This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. First up this hour, the highly controversial Penang South Island Reclamation Project has been downsized from three islands to just one island. Yeah, this is according to the uh, Penang Chief Minister, Chao Kong Yao. Uh, the decision was made at the request of the Prime Minister, Dr. Sri Anwar Ibrahim. The size of the project uh, will be reduced from 4,500 acres to 2,300 acres, making it... Uh, uh, but a 49% reduction from the original plan. Now, the development of the first island, dubbed Silicon Island, will now take uh, 20 years. The previous estimates were 30 to 50 years. The sales of the of the project was meant to finance the Penang Transport Master Plan. Now, the original version, or rather vision, for the 10 billion ringgit project was to provide affordable housing, public beaches, and parks. And it also sought to attract investors and tourists with the aspiration to create some 300,000 jobs by 2050. So with the scaled down version of the plans, um, what now will happen is there'll be a green tech park as well as an LRT depot on the Silicon Island. However, um, the Penang reclamation, the Penang South Island reclamation project has been dogged by controversy from the get go, right? Um, particularly from environmental groups and uh, fishermen, the fishermen community voicing their strong opposition to it because, uh, among other things, the fact that it would destroy the marine biodiversity, that it would cause pollution, um, and that it would ruin the rich fishing grounds as well as compromise food security for the people of Penang. So. The chief minister has said that this scaling down of the project now means that only 115 fishermen would be affected. Uh, This is in comparison to the initial figure of 500 fishermen that were said to have been impacted by the plans. Gamuda, the major shareholder of the consortium that's undertaking the project, have said that uh, the call for the project to be scaled down or even scrapped uh, reflects um, the reflects the fact that they're not necessarily thinking about the integrity of the due process or even the rule of law that had been applied to the project. Um, I think there's a lot here to talk about in terms of, on the one hand, the scaling back and how much that will change the kind of opposition that this project has been getting. Uh, but on the other hand, also this notion of um, whether this sort of development is even necessary for a space like Penang. Yeah, and and also the the reasons and the rationale behind the scaling down, is it largely uh, a question of uh, political optics? Um, You know, what we do know is that it's not pleased anybody on Mm -hmm. on both sides of the divide, uh, and neither the developers are happy nor are the critics who say, you know, why have an island at all? Uh, So, yeah, there's a lot to unpack here in terms of how the state government, uh, as the kind of mediating... Mm -hmm. Uh, voice in the kind in the kind of contest of wills and interests that uh, have been displayed over the last co- couple of years. How did they manage those uh, competing interests and come to a compromise that is satisfactory to all? So we are going to be speaking very shortly with Zairel Kir Johari, the Adun for Tanjung Bunga, as well as the Penang State Executive Councillor for Infrastructure and Transport. But in the meantime, we want to hear from you as well. 
Do you think sometimes the environment is a necessary trade-off when it comes to development? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Baba from Malacca. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 5.12. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. And we're talking about the Penang South Island Reclamation Project, which has now been scaled back from three islands to one island. So we're going to try and understand what this means moving forward. Uh, But we do want to hear from you. What do you think about this project? And in a larger sense, do you think sometimes the environment is a necessary trade-off for development? You can call 777-332-900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp. 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now on the line is Zairel Kier Johari, the Adun for Tanjung Bunga, as well as the Penang State Executive Councillor for Infrastructure and Transport. Zairel, good to have you with us. Hi, Sharmila and Sharad. Nice to uh, uh, see, well, not see, but talk to <laughs> you guys again. <laughs> so the Penang South Islands was initially supposed to be a three island project. Now it's been scaled down to one island and it'll be 2,300 acres instead of the original 4,500 acres, supposedly done um, at the uh, at the urging of the Prime Minister. Now, this compromise, though, uh, as Sharad alluded to earlier, uh, seems to really be pleasing no one. So what was the thinking behind it? And is it largely driven by public opinion and optics? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I think we have to be careful about uh, making a sweeping statement uh, like it doesn't please no one. I mean, it pleases no one. I think it doesn't please everyone. Uh, that's a given. Uh, obviously, it doesn't please a few minority groups uh, who continually oppose, uh, you know, most other, including other uh, development projects in the state as well. That's fine. Um, but uh, I think by and large, uh, the people that we've talked to, people we meet, uh, many have actually praised the state government by saying, look, it's a compromise. Uh, it's necessary. And, and at the same time, we understand, we respect the prime minister's wishes. Um, But coming back to the original question, um, I think if we look at the rationale for the Penang South Islands project in the first place, it's twofold. Firstly, uh, as you did mention earlier as well, it is to help fund the Penang Transport Master Plan projects, uh, one of which is the LRT project. Uh, And of course, there are other projects as well. And the second reason for the Penang South Islands project is really also to create new land bank uh, for industrial as well as mixed development. Because as you know, Penang, uh, we don't have that much land uh, and and, and it's a great resource for us. So essentially, uh, the reason for scaling down, as you say, uh, on the urging of the prime minister, but also because the federal government has finally agreed to fully fund our LRT project, which means the initial and original scale of the reclamation can be reduced because we don't we then don't need as much financing uh, for the uh, you know obviously the Penang transport master plan projects that we originally required Sariel, uh you know the scale down plan is still quite sizable isn't it and one assumes that the original project uh, was optimal in terms of what it was going to provide uh, p- uh, potential stakeholders in the project as well as the revenues from it. Uh, does this new scaled-down version uh, you know, stand up to scrutiny from a business uh, or economic development perspective? W- was there enough time to do the calculation? 
Sure. I, I think that's a very valid question. But if you look at what we have scaled down, we have removed uh, the second and third islands, but we have kept the first island. Now, uh, actually, the first island is the most important of all the three islands, uh, primarily because it is meant to be an extension of the existing uh, Bayan Lepas industrial area, which is a very mature industrial estate. Uh, and it's also very near to the airport. So the whole ecosystem and logistics is there. And and uh, we actually intend to, uh, you also did mention this earlier in your introduction to create a green tech park uh, to host uh, obviously the big names in electronics and electric uh, as well as a, a, a global business services belt gbs so in other words if i can sum the whole island a up into one word it would be jobs actually island a is meant to create jobs thousands and thousands of jobs that will be high value and high income uh, and i think everything else revolves around uh, you know obviously uh, that key critical catalytic factor, which is jobs. If we don't have jobs, then what is the point of having a new island? Uh, and I believe Island A will still do its job because Island A was meant to be, uh, you know, the purpose of Island A was to create jobs. And if it does do, do its job, it does do what we uh, believe it will do, then actually it will be a success. Since the news of the scaling back has come out, uh, the reps from the fishermen community, environmental groups, as well as other members of the community have actually continued calling for the project to be scrapped altogether. And this is in, of course, uh, opposition to Gamuda, who are saying that due process has been done. Um, how has the state government attempted to strike a balance in addressing these competing interests? Yes, well, you know, I suppose... I suppose in a nutshell, that is the job of the government, uh, constantly trying to balance different interest groups. Uh, we're used to that. Um, but essentially, if we look at the the project itself, uh, now, now in order to get the approvals that were necessary, we had to undergo... Uh, you know, so so many processes of public engagement, public display, uh, including when we did the environmental impact assessment, and this is verified by the Department of Environment, we actually got a 93% approval rating uh, from the uh, public engagement done, that is from the public, and from the actual fishermen that were surveyed during the uh, social impact assessment uh, part of the project, 73% actually supported it. So I don't know about you, but 93 and 73% sound to me like a sizable majority and as a responsible state government i think we we should you know adhere to the wishes of the majority and although we do recognize that there are minorities out there who do not agree uh, you know we respectfully take their opinion but i think we have to do what the majority wants yeah, so that's very interesting. It's a, the, that is almost, you know, kind of pure democratic values, right? I mean, you go with the majority, but there's also this question of experts, and experts have weighed in on this matter, haven't they, Zariel, saying that the damage done uh, to the, the local environment and also the long-term consequences are such that it it suggests that you know maybe the democratic principle can needs to be put aside uh, for these larger considerations. I think that's a, it's a great point uh, on the environment, and I'm glad you brought it up because okay, I think it's safe to say, and I'm not trying to you know blow our own horn or anything like that, but I think the Penang State Government takes pride in the fact that we value the environment greatly, 
Uh, in fact, over the last few years, we worked very hard uh, to make sure Penang Hill, which is our treasure on the island, uh, attained UNESCO Biosphere, Biosphere Reserve rating or listing, uh, basically ensuring that we preserve uh, that important ecological area. At the same time, actually, let me give you a more relevant example. Now, under the Penang Structure Plan, and this was uh, gazetted a long time ago, even before our government, the Middle Bank area, which is a sort of an area in the channel just north of the current Penang Bridge, the first Penang Bridge, Middle Bank, Bank area was actually designated by the Penang Structure Plan as an area for reclamation. But not only has our government not reclaimed the Middle Bank, we have also, we are in the process of gazetting it as a marine sanctuary. Now, why have we done so? Because we agree that the biodiversity at the Middle Bank is worth preserving. Uh, so I think where where it is merited, we actually take it very seriously. Now, coming back to the Penang South Islands, you know, th there must be a reason why we chose that area. I mean, besides the fact that it's, you know, adjacent to the current uh, industrial ecosystem, it is actually the most suitable uh, in terms of geography and hydrology. It's the most suitable area for reclamation because actually it's very muddy and very shallow. I don't take my word for it, actually. I know, I know you mentioned experts and so on. I will gladly, Sharad, Shamila, if you want, bring you personally to the area to show you how muddy and shallow it is. It's actually not the pristine, uh, you know, uh, ecolo ecological, biodiverse area that some groups make it out to be. And I, you know, I'm willing to go there myself with you to show you that. So this is a question we're in fact asking our listeners as well. Um, but specifically when we think about the climate crisis, is it sometimes necessary to make that hard decision? Um, is the environment inevitably sometimes going to be uh, impacted or sacrificed when it comes to development or economic concerns? I think when it comes to development, of course, no one's saying that there's no impact. Of course, there's, there'll be impact. And that's why we have to take all the necessary mitigation measures. But at the same time, I think it, it's worth mentioning that reclamation is recognized by the United Nations as a valid climate, climate adaptation strategy. So in other words, uh, if you look at countries like Denmark, Singapore, they are reclaiming as well. And they're actually doing so in the name of sustainability. And we are actually designing uh, Island A or Silicon Island, as we have now come to name it, to be three meters above sea level, uh, mean sea level. This would actually mean that Island A would also serve a second role of being protection against uh, rising sea levels, which are going to happen over the next 50 years. So, you know, in actual fact, it's also part of uh, preserving uh, sort of the environment, uh, so to speak. But again, I'm not denying that there will be environmental impact. I'm the first to admit that there will be, but there will be also mitigation measures taken. All this, you know, we wouldn't have gotten the uh, environmental approvals had we not, you know, made these pledges uh, and commitments to ensure that uh, whatever mitigation measures that are required, you know, such as planting mangroves, building uh, eco-friendly shorelines, uh, you know, uh, deploying artificial reefs, all this will be done. Sarala, I understand reclamation is actually an old story in Penang going back perhaps 100 years or so. But, but more recently, you've, you've got that major project of Gurney Drive uh, with the building, uh, with the establishment of two islands. 
that experience of um, because there was resistance even then to those two islands being built off Gurney Drive. What has that taught the Penang state government about how to deal with um, these various stakeholders, especially those who, uh, in some sense, quite powerless? I mean, the fishing community is powerless vis-a-vis the big developers like Gamuda, uh, and you know, and activists are reasonably powerless against you know uh, politicians and such. I mean, how how do you make that? Uh, how do you balance those kinds of voices in coming to a decision that's beneficial for the long term? Um, I think you're right uh, in the sense that we have had quite a lot of experience uh, with doing reclamation uh, and we have actually learned a lot. And what one of the things that we've learned is that we should engage, not only engage, but actually take proactive measures to assist uh, perhaps the stakeholders who are most affected. And when it comes to the fishermen, I think there is no other reclamation project in Malaysia uh, in, ever in our history uh, where we have actually come up with a very you know, uh, detailed scheme of assisting and empowering the fishermen. Not only are we giving free new boats for them, we are also doing reskilling. Uh, we are helping them with scholarships for their children so that they can upskill themselves, upskill and, and you know, perhaps even move on and get better jobs. Uh, uh, and, and besides that, we have even proposed to, you know, build a corporacy, you know, uh, so that they can do other jobs. And during the reclamation as well, there will be jobs available for them to earn more income. Uh, so we definitely take into account uh, th- these measures. But at the same time, if I can just mention, there's a bit of data here that I have, which is quite interesting, actually. Um, you know, data from the fisheries department show that in 2020, marine catch in Penang, actually increased by 24% compared to six years ago, 2014, despite the fact that, as you mentioned, that there are so many ongoing reclamation projects in Penang, uh, including in areas where people are fishing. So actually, there is no empirical evidence to say that you know fishing uh, catch will decline because of reclamation. In fact, the data seems to show otherwise. I mean, I'm not an expert in this, but I, 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 all I can do is look at the data and tell you what it means. But then why the resistance? I mean, what you, uh, what you list out sounds wonderful. Yeah. Uh, perhaps it's wonderful on paper. Why is it that there's still uh, a number of people who are skeptical? Well, you know, welcome to Penang. Uh, Penang is very democratic. (laughs) Uh, Every single major project in Penang has always had resistance and objections, and we we respect that. Uh, It's life in Penang. I mean, the same groups, uh, you know, the NGOs, the the very same NGOs who oppose this project also oppose the first Penang Bridge, the second Penang Bridge, uh, the Spice uh, Convention Center when it was built. They said it would be a white elephant, but it's completely booked. You can't even get a booking for a year. Uh, even the Escape Theme Park, which you know is, is, is award-winning. Uh, Penang is very proud to have the Escape Theme Park. They were against that as well. They said it would be environmental rape. Actually, that's the word used. I'm sorry uh, you know, if that word can be used. Uh, and this came out in the star. Um, so... <laughs> I mean, so we, so, what, what, so yeah. where is the, the cognitive dissonance? What, what's happening here? What do you think is happening between I, the groups? I mean, is it purely the democratic temper of Penangites? Or is I it think, a, a I, very different vision of what the, the, the island and the state should be? I think that there are obviously uh, people who disagree with this. There are groups and who, are, who, who make up the minority, uh, uh, as we have established earlier. Uh, and, you know, they do have views... Sometimes, sometimes their views can be, you know, 
I, I don't want to say this, but sometimes they seem to be opposing, objecting for the sake of objecting. And I don't know whether that's right. Now, if there is merit in, in what they're objecting and their concerns, we are very happy to, you know, uh, to actually take that into consideration. And we have. Not all their views, you know. Uh, 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 you know, uh, I think some of their views uh, uh, we have taken into account. We have definitely, you know, part of the engagement process. Uh, we have adopted uh, obviously some of these things, and and I suppose it's because of pressure like that that we have taken these additional proactive measures to assist the fishermen and so on. So I think we also learn as a government. Uh, we have seen how previous reclamation projects have gone, and maybe some groups you know have been affected very badly. That's why we actually say, look. If we can, let's do not just, you know, what is necessary, but maybe a second extra or third extra step just to assist where we can. But obviously, we, we know that we will never please everyone. And I, I think, you know, government doesn't go out with the goal of pleasing everyone. Uh, we have to balance all the different vested interests, all the different groups. Uh, you know, we realize that there is a cost to development, but at the same time, we have to think about the future of Penang. We have to think about our economic future. Uh, we have to think about will our children have jobs 30 years from now? You know, I think if uh, when Bayan Lepas Industrial Zone, if that wasn't built, you know, in the 70s, would we have the economy that we have today? And obviously at the time, they had to displace people as well. I mean, that is a cost to development. We will be back after this with um, to continue our conversation with Zairil Kir Johari, Adun for Tanjung Bunga, as well as the Penang State Executive Councillor uh, for Infrastructure and Transport. We're talking about the Penang South Island Reclamation Project. What do you make of this project? And in a larger sense, do you think sometimes the environment is a necessary trade-off for development? You can call 77332900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio and stay tuned for more with Zyril after this. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. Backing female ministers, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 5.38. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. And we're talking about the Penang South Island Reclamation Project, uh, which has been scaled back from three islands to now one island. And so we're trying to understand um, how that decision was made and what it might mean. Uh, but in the meantime, we want to hear from you. Do you think sometimes the environment is a necessary trade-off for development? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 18 Tweet us at BFM Radio. We're continuing our conversation with Zairil Kir Johari, the Adun for Tanjung Bunga, and the Penang State Executive Councillor for Infrastructure and Transport. Zairil, I have a message from a listener that I'd like to put to you for a response. So, Dr. RJK says money spent on PSI could be used to develop the mainland, Sabrang Prai, Butterworth, and so on. Thoughts? Uh, that's a very easy thing to say. I, I understand. And, and obviously, you know, that would be the first thought as well. Uh, and you would think the state government would have thought of it. And obviously we have. <laughs> the, the, the truth is we don't have land uh, that belongs to the state on the mainland. We are out of it. Uh, we have basically saturated the Batukawan Industrial Park. If you go to Batukawan today, just look around. Uh, that's, it's full of construction. It's full of factories. Uh, we don't, we no longer have uh, huge plots of land for key investors. And obviously, there are some now private industrial parks that are also opening up in the north of Penang, in Bertam, for example. Uh, now, but 
I think the the whole idea of having an extension of the Bain Lepas Industrial Park at the Penang or the, at the new Silicon Island is to attract key cornerstone investors. We're talking about the big names, and if you're a big name uh, and you come to Penang, you expect to be given a prime location that is near the existing uh, supply chain ecosystem, near the existing logistics such as the airport, uh, your cargo uh, areas, and so on. Um, and, 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 and that would be it. I mean, if you're a big name and you're, you're, you're bringing, you know, 10, 20, 30 billion, uh, investment, you don't want to be put somewhere really far away. I, I think that would just, you know, it, we have actually lost investments because we have not been able to give them, uh, the exact prime locations that, uh, that, that they requested. So I think obviously we do understand, um, that there is, you know, obviously in the mainland. And, uh, but if you come to the mainland, actually, firstly, it is actually already quite developed. Uh, and secondly, the areas that are not developed mostly are agricultural land. Uh, you know, would it be right to take away paddy fields for the sake of development? That's also another, another argument or debate to be had, isn't it? Uh, we have a, another message from a listener. This is from Solihin, who wants to know how transparent was the decision-making process during the approval of the EIA report? Do all stakeholders, such as fishermen or the NGOs, have a seat during the, the decision-making or was it a closed process? It's not a closed process. Uh, in fact, it is, um, it is a very open process. And not only that, the NGOs, including the NGOs, some of them that are protesting and objecting against it, were actually part of the focus group discussions. They were part of the uh, engagement process. And of course, they objected during the whole process as well, uh, which we take into account. It's completely transparent. Uh, in fact, Penang is the only state to do multiple rounds of these engagements uh, compared to other states that, you know, you know, I don't want to mention, but you know, some states even uh, proceed with uh, development without any engagement. Well, you know, so this is a question that's always arisen. It's not just uh, people being against development, but they're being against, uh, be, they are against certain types of development. Developments that um, maybe don't prioritize, for instance, uh, the quality of work. So you, you talk about these huge, the, these numbers are being bandied about 300,000 jobs by 2050. But what kind of jobs? Yeah, and the and the the criticism also, Zyril, I think that many political parties in this country don't differ in their thinking about development. Uh, they, they in fact share the same vision. Do you think that criticism can be applied to Penang that it hasn't been uh, imaginative, that it's basically fallen within conventional thinking about what development means, what kind of jobs can be created, where they exist in you know, as you put it, global supply chains. That's a good point. Now, actually, because of our scarcity of land, Penang has actually had to be, over the years, uh, we, we have had to curate the kind of investments that come in. So, for example, if somebody comes in and they say, look, you know, we're going to build a huge factory, we're going to ask them, what kind of factory are you going to build? Will it be as an assembly line? Will you be bringing foreign workers? You know, we want to know the quality of jobs that you're bringing into Penang. We have to be a bit selective, un unfortunately. I mean, I, I don't want to sound like, you know, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're so special or anything, but we have a scarcity of land issue. So we have had to be very, uh, very selective about the kinds of investment. We want to make sure that more and more, whatever investments that come in are high value. They bring in more engineers and hire more engineers, for example, uh, more professionals, uh, and also give uh, opportunities to locals for jobs. So uh, now, 
for the Silicon Island that we're planning, uh, you have to also understand that the whole island will actually be in the flight path of the airport. In other words, you can't even build a high rise on Silicon Island. So if if for people out there who are imagining Silicon Island to be an island, you know, a real estate island with tall skyscrapers and so on, actually it's going to be the opposite. It's going to be low rise. Uh, due to the uh, flight path restrictions. It's going to be industrial. It's going to have a lot of jobs. And yes, of course, some commercial and residential as well to support the industry and the jobs uh, over there. We are actually, you know, what we're trying to plan today, Sharad, uh, is actually trying to plan for 30 years ahead. It's the same thinking that the Penang State Government had to go through in the 70s when they were planning, you know, what will the jobs be 30 years from then? Uh, and so these are the things that we're, we're going through. Zarel, so in closing, with these new developments on the project, does the state government have to return to ground to persuade the majority of Penangites about the benefits? I think we have gone to ground many times. Uh, We contested the last election with the Penang South Islands as part of our manifesto. Uh, And generally speaking, uh, you know, the Penangites that I meet, where uh, the, the Penangites that I meet on a day-to-day basis, when I you know go to the ground, the Penangites who live in Penang, work in Penang, and vote in Penang, the questions they are asking me is why is it taking so long? They're not asking me you know to stop doing it. They're, they're saying you know why is it taking so long? Why haven't you guys started? Uh, and of course we have to explain to them that there is due process we have to follow. Uh, Penang is law-abiding. We want to make sure that everything we do because we have got a microscope microscopic attention on Penang, you know, uh, BFM talks about Penang and they don't talk about other states. So uh, we want to Perhaps there's nothing happening in the other states we're talking about. (laughs) But so in other words, we have to make sure everything we do is above board and proper. I mean, we can't get away with it if we we do something that's not transparent. Zairil, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you very much. That was Zairil Kheer Johari, the Adun for Tanjung Bunga, as well as Penang State Executive Councillor for Infrastructure and Transport, weighing in on the Penang South Island Reclamation Project, now downsized from three islands to one island. Uh, we are asking you, what do you make of this? But also, do you think sometimes the environment is a necessary trade-off for development? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be back after this for your messages, so keep it here on the Evening Edition, BFM 89.9. Backing feminist movements, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 5.47. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. And we've been talking about the Penang South Island Reclamation Project and asking you, what do you think of the project? And also, whether you think sometimes the environment is a necessary trade-off for development. You can call 777 send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Let's start with a voice note. This is from Wendy. I do not believe that the environment is a good trade-off to business. Let's not forget the environment is actually what keeps us alive. And, you know, all this trading of the environment for business has actually got us into hot soup in the first place with all this global warming and climate change because we've been using too much fossil fuels. Although, yeah, maybe there might be some changes coming, but I don't think that this trade-off would be very good, especially if you're talking about using 
these new islands to uh, the new island um, as a selling point for tourism what's the point of having that if there is no environment for which tourists will come to see and um, in the case of the fishermen they actually need to make a living if you take that away yeah they say only a hundred over fishermen rather than four four five hundred fishermen will be affected but how true is that are the statistics really in place and you know the actual fishermen actually need to move around uh, looking um finding the source of fish if let's say you are building uh, a fake island that's definitely going to impact the entire ecosystem and biosystem wendy thank you for that you know, it strikes me that part of the part of the frustration expressed around this is also because this isn't just this project in isolation, right? For years now, Penangites um, and even people who visit Penang have been talking about um, overdevelopment and how the uh, green lungs and the natural spots that were often sort of greatly prized are slowly disappearing. Uh, yeah, that may be true, but let's um, let's put some of this in perspective. I think Wendy's cri- criticism about the islands perhaps is based on a misconception, right? And I think as I will clears it up, what are the islands for, mm. right? So they're contiguous with the uh, other industrial part of Penang, and it's going to be largely the industry, right? So yes, it's not job generating. Yeah, so it's not yeah. about fun islands yeah. for, for, for tourism. So the, so let's put that argument aside. I do think, though, and I think it's very interesting that Zyril talked about how, in many ways, the central part of Penang Island, the, the, the hills, are untouchable. There's something that, you know, Penang uh, and Penangites and any government in Penang, uh, you know, is... Uh, in peril, they would imperil themselves uh, if they, in fact, uh, you know, destroyed that environment. So that's something that. So where else does Penang go? He says it's saturated on the mm. mainland. Uh, there are not enough state land there, at least not parcels of land that are attractive to investors. So in in a sense. What are the options? And I think the point about politicians who are different from many of us is that they're they're very they're pragmatists, right? And they, they need to balance various interest groups. Um, some of many of which are competing interest groups. Yeah, there's also I think maps uh, uh, what they can rely on is a large amount of apathy or lack of. Uh, <laughs> I mean, because you know, unless you're impacted directly with um, you know uh, by a project, uh, you'd probably be okay with it. I mean, if it's happening in the other side of the island, you're probably okay with it, right? And therefore, apathy or indifference to the suffering of others or the long-term suffering of humanity is uh, perhaps a, in, a sufficient enough reason to go ahead with uh, the project. So, um, coming directly from a Penangite, actually, TIDJ says, as a Penangite, I think we should be exploring other ways of development. The environment should not be the price for development. How will we progress if we keep making arguments to justify the desolation of environment? Arguments like Europe drove the megafauna's extinction uh, centuries ago, or America deforested a large chunk of the environment. We don't have that luxury. Any further attacks will affect us all. So the question, uh, TIJ, DJ, I think is like, the, so the principle, I think, is spot on. You and Wendy, absolutely right. I'm on your side on this, you know. Uh, the the planet is about us. I mean, you know, we destroy the planet and we destroy ourselves, right? So, but then the question is, at what level will planning have to be done in order to protect the planet? Can a state government itself go in a radically 
environmentally conscious direction if the nation itself, and I think you'd say even the region, doesn't in fact go in that direction too. So what would they sacrifice and will they even stay in power if they said we will stop development, slow development or create... Yes. You know, alternative of uh, an alternative vision. Would the popula- general population sign on to that? No, this is actually. I I certainly don't envy um, people in local government or even federal government uh, when having to make a case for these sorts of projects, right? Because you're absolutely right that on the one hand. Um, Development brings with it a lot of benefits, um, whether it's accessibility, whether it's jobs, whether it's modernization. Um, And it's sort of a a cornerstone of the nation moving forward. But with concerns about the environment and the climate crisis becoming ever present, despite the public apathy that you were referencing earlier, I think it's increasingly becoming difficult to... um, to figure out how to strike that balance um, and to talk about it in a way that doesn't uh, antagonize people. So I wanted to get to this message from Roberto, who says, the simple fact is that humans are on this earth. Is The fact that humans are on this earth is affecting the environment. Yes, I believe that there should be some sort of trade-off when it comes to development. But if the government establishes the necessary mitigation measures, that impact could be minimized. Precisely taking into consideration all the NGOs and the so-called experts' opinions about the project could be a very good way to implement certain mitigation measures to develop the project. Yeah, so that's what we hope. I mean, maybe all we can expect is, in fact, mitigation, some you know, restoration. Uh, but we do see in other countries a, a real concerted effort to g- rewild cities and green their environments and uh, uh, maybe think about work and the future of work in different ways that doesn't uh, require pouring more cement and creating more factories in the way that we have, right? But that, I think... Again, we cannot be naive. We can't imagine, you know, Malaysia shooting off into the 21st century with all these jobs that people work from home. And so it's, maybe our position in the global division of labor doesn't uh, afford us that luxury. And I think the people in the state government uh, and all of us as a public need to be educated about what are the real options that Malaysia has, not a wish list based on some fantasy or some delusion about ourselves and our capacities, but a recognition about where we stand in the world and what options are available in front of us. Madiha, meanwhile, says the environment has intrinsic value. An island can be valuable in and of itself, not just instrumentally as land to provide potential jobs. And what of consequences that come out of those jobs, the waste, the pollution and so on? Local developments tend to bulldoze everything and build from a blank slate compared to the UK or the EU, where they tend to build complementary structures that take into account the natural environment. Well, I can't speak to what happens in the UK, EU, but I, I must say this, you know, um, this, is a, this is a reality for uh, a lot of governments. Uh, population growth, the need to, um, you know, have jo- create jobs uh, to satisfy populations. It's not just simply about keeping themselves in power, but in fact answering the aspirations of people. Because Malaysians, uh, you take a measure any, anywhere in the country, or what are people's aspirations? What do they want? What do they want for their children? Uh, we have gr- a growing population, right? I mean, maybe it's not growing as fast as some countries, but um, how do we do that? I mean, I'm from the, you know, voluntary human experience 
extinction uh, side of the discussion, but most people aren't. They have children and they want something better. And if your government is not enabling that, uh, you'll be punished. And so uh, who's going to be in power and how do we change the conversation? Well, keep your thoughts coming. We are asking you whether the environment is sometimes a necessary trade-off for development. You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. And keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.